0: what's up guys welcome to another episode of hospital playlist this is your host albert and your other host john for all of our uh, listeners and or viewers out there we had an episode where john asked me some nitty-gritty detailed questions about me and the episode is uh called all about albert this one is going to be for john we're going to ask some questions um and ask hey let me get to know you more We're going to treat this like a first date uh, between us, the viewers, and John. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Bring it on. So um... I love first dates. (laughs) Okay, well, let me get started. Um, Where were you born? Tell us about yourself and what were you like growing up? I
1: was born in Korea. I lived in Korea until I was three, so not, not a whole lot of memories there. Grew up in Canada and in a city called Toronto and pretty much as a kid, I was pretty nerdy. I wasn't very studious. My parents didn't really like that part of me, I guess. They really wanted me to study a bit more. They put me into a few after-school programs and immediately they pulled me out because I wasn't really doing anything. I was into sports for a little bit until I got introduced to video games. And then once I found out about video games, I did not want to move my body anymore. So I was really into video games, really into computers. When I got my first computer. I think I was, oh man, I think I was like nine years old. So yeah, I wanted to become a computer programmer or go into computer engineering.
0: You could have honestly gone into the field and you could have made a career out of that. But what made you choose medicine?
1: I didn't really choose medicine. I don't feel like I really made any choices in my career path until very recently. I was super interested in computer programming because I loved playing games and I wanted to program my own game. And I was learning programs like C++ making these god-awful games. Like it was like a two-dimensional guy just dodging bullets or something. My parents weren't too fond of that. I had this conversation with my parents still. Like if I actually went into the tech field, I'd be a completely different person now, right? My life would be completely different. At that time, they had a very close friend who was working as an engineer, a software engineer, and he had been laid off twice. Mm. They thought that that field is not very stable, and in the future, going forward, it's not going to be a career path that they would want their son to be in. So they really talked me out of that. You know, I wasn't happy when I first heard it, but you know, I treated my parents like gods. So if they said something, then I typically followed. How I actually eventually ended up in medicine was in high school. So even in high school, I wasn't that good of a student. I was playing video games late at night. I was part of this first-person shooter game, uh, Counter-Strike being one of them. But the one that I really enjoyed was the game called Star Siege Tribes. Very few people know what that is. I was on this team and my team was all living in the West Coast. So when we had these scrims or tournament ladder games, I'd have to play at 1 a.m. or 12 a.m. in the morning. So I really did not prioritize school. And then in the second last year, in the last year of high school, I started studying really hard. I actually learned that I really enjoyed science. Science was really interesting. I felt, I thought everything could be explained by science, whether it's medical stuff or just animal human behavior. I was really interested in science and that's what drove me to go into the biomedical sciences field or the biomedical sciences program in undergrad. And then in undergrad, I guess like typical pre-med stuff, every, every one of my friends was pre-med and I just kind of, I wanted to hang out with them. So I studied for the MCAT and that's pretty much how I got to
0: where I am. So this basically describes how smart you are. You half-assed your way and you got into med school and then you got into a residency program in New York. You're like, ah, I guess I'll do it. Why not? And you got in. And meanwhile, you have other people who are just like, <laughs> my life is entirely devoted to the MCATs. And then some of them end up making it. Some people don't make up, end up making it. So basically, we you know at this point that John is a certified genius. It, even though it
1: wasn't really part of my plans, I wasn't one of those people that was like, I want to become a doctor when I was a young age for some very morally high reason. It was just because all of my friends were doing it. It was more like I was just following the crowd. But when I was studying, I didn't slack off. I definitely like put in the hours, put in the work. I was trying very hard. You know, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. I'm not smart at all. I'm really dumb. But I guess my story is if you put in the effort, you can always achieve whatever you're trying to do. So, yeah, I'm definitely not smart. Definitely worked really hard to get there.
0: I guess this kind of is a good segue. It can be uh, what 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 I'm curious about is what were some struggles? It can be either personal or professional. Um, As a pre-med, like what were some of those difficulties that you faced you felt like defined your stance in your career choices? In undergrad, I told you I was you know, in the biomedical sciences
1: program. At my school, we had something called the Faculty of Medical Sciences. No, 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 sorry, sorry. Faculty of Science, but Bachelor of Medical Science. We had like this whole thing for medical sciences, and that's where I wound up. And that's why most of the people that I knew were pre-med. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Freshman year, I didn't care. I just took the courses, played games, met people, and that's it. When I started getting into my senior years, then I really started considering research because I thought that's where everything happens. I wanted to become a professor at one point. I mean, in the back of my mind, it's like, I still study for MCAT. I have my MCAT scores. Maybe I should apply for medical school, but it wasn't something that I was super passionate about. And that was that was a struggle because I had my parents, who were typical Korean parents, they say something that, you know, those ha job, right? Anything that has the word sa at the end. whether the social i don't even know what that means English,
0: but it's like
1: a yeah he's a doctor so any professional career so like lawyer doctor pharmacist nurse dentist right i mean even, even professor is a professional thing but they had this idea that if you were a doctor you'll have a very comfortable life so that was my personal struggle where i had to please my parents but at the same time i kind of wanted to do something else Eventually, I didn't end up doing any of that after I graduated. I just took some years off and started just yellowing my own life and going on different adventures.
0: Like we had mentioned in our very first podcast, you said, oh, you're working in the corporate world now, like working for companies devoted towards mm-hmm. research into cancer, treating drugs. You obviously went through because you didn't finish your, your residency. Like you said, um, there was mm-hmm. some point that you told yourself, OK, I really don't want to keep doing this. I want to do something more that's more catered to my taste. What kind of drew you to that decision? So in third year,
1: MS3s, they typically get exposure to the clinic. And they're able to rotate through the core rotations and then also eventually be able to pick their electives later on when they're in the fourth year. I remember when I first went to the clinic, it was actually a lot of fun. In the beginning, my first impressions were like, oh my god, this is great. I'm actually having a lot of fun. I'm seeing all these different diseases I've only read about in the books. I know how to manage patients. I know what treatment to give. And by doing that, I could see these people getting better right before my eyes. And that was, that was exciting. Right? It was a new thing. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. No matter what I did. Like, I mean, the things I've done I've done in the past is like I play video games for a few hours and then I go and win or lose a tournament. And if I win it, then yes, I feel accomplished. If I lose it, then you know, like I feel like I've wasted all of my time. But this was different. This was like years of studying being put to the test and applying that to treating patients. And then with that application, seeing people get better, it felt extremely rewarding. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just like what we see in TV dramas all the time, medical dramas. It's not always rainbows and sunshine. Patients are going to have complications. Some patients, no matter what you do, are going to get worse. So one of the very first things that kind of pushed me away from medicine was something very simple. I get very dizzy when I see blood. Mm-hmm or see something very, uh, I guess, quote-unquote, gross. So I remember we were going to make rounds on the post-op patients, and this person had a toe amputation, and then we were undressing the wound, and that was my first time seeing it in person. So we were undressing it and they asked me to do it. I was a medical student. I was like sitting there, my eyes were all sparkly and stuff. So then they're like, John, do you want to undress? I'm like, yes. So I went over, I like started undressing it extremely carefully thinking that you know, I don't want to hurt the patient, but I did it really slowly. And eventually we got to the point where I took the, the wrapping off the foot and then now it was just where the toe used to be. And there was dressing inside there as well. So I started pulling it up. You know how like magicians <laughs> pull a handkerchief that's knotted together out of a magic hat. So I started pulling. I'm like, okay, this is not gonna be that much. Like, two minutes later, I'm just, I'm still <laughs> pulling. I'm like, what the hell? Like, how much is gonna come out of this? And once I finally pulled it out, I looked down and I just see a little crater of where the toe used to be bloody red and no toe. I saw that and I fainted. <laughs> I just you, fainted. I just fell, fell to the floor. Yeah, I fell to the floor. You like imagine, like, you're pulling the thing and you finally take it all off. You see it two seconds later, I'm on the ground. <laughs> So everyone started freaking out, worried that I might have hurt myself while falling. Even the patient asked me if I was okay. I went back out to the nursing station and one of the residents got me orange juice and I just kind of sat there sipping on orange juice while everyone else finished the rounds. So from that point, I'm like, this might be a problem, <laughs> right? This might be a problem. If I can't even see that, that's going to be a problem. So that- of happened a lot more it got a little better and everyone told me it was going to get better but it never really did it never really did get better like i always felt wheezy i always got lightheaded but on top of that the first experience where i saw a patient die uh, i talked to this patient for like weeks and he came in for just a diabetes complication but he was an elderly man and he was about to get discharged finally. and i, I was talking to him you know, i've developed like such a strong report with him and i was walking past his room and he called me over and he started talking about how he's really looking forward to going to see his family and see his grandkids and they've already booked this trip to go hiking up in the mountains and they haven't done that together since i don't know like months so he's really looking forward to it and then i went back to the residence lounge to like just eat my lunch and the next thing i know there's a code so we all do the right thing we stop eating we go and and there was a line of doctors and nurses and just healthcare providers in front of the room. So I thought, okay, it can't be that guy. Uh, walked over and I just see the line pointing towards his bed and they're everyone's doing CPR on it. So we started doing CPR. His son, his grandkids, they all came while that was happening and you know the nurses appropriately escorted them to another location. And ultimately, 45 minutes later, we called time of death. And then we had to deliver the news to uh, the family. And yeah, that was, that's hard. That was hard. It was a lot of weight to handle. My mental fortitude wasn't strong enough to handle that. And then the third part, so I know this is like a long minded answer, but the third part is just the hours and the days and the number of, like, how long you have to work, how physically taxing it was. So with all of that combined, I knew by the end of third year, I told all of my friends, like, hey guys, like, I don't know if I'm going to apply for residency. And they told me that was crazy. What are you going to do? The thing is, we don't know what else we can do. Like we went to med school to become doctors, to work in the hospital or a clinic and treat patients. I started in fourth year. I signed up for a bunch of electives thinking that I was going to go this route. I didn't really have any other options, but I went attended some like networking events in New York city. And yeah, there were a lot of people who were medical graduates not working in the clinic and that was really eye-opening so I started learning more about different things. Because I was learning I still ended up applying to residency and working in the clinic for a little bit but eventually I made my own decision like the first time I actually made my own decision to choose a career path and that career path was leaving the clinic because it just didn't mesh well with me as a person.
0: It wasn't for me. that's why i personally could never see myself becoming a doctor that's why i chose dentistry i mean i think i mentioned to you before too like when i was applying for college like um i got into an eight-year program at pittsburgh for dentistry and an eight-year program for um at ohio state for medicine and i immediately kind of dropped the medicine like medical school like the eight-year program because of what the same reason like experiencing death like i don't want that type of burden like you know it, it, it's an honor it's a privilege to treat patients right but what along with that privilege you have that responsibility that um no matter the outcome you played a part in it like let's say the patient survives that's great the patient doesn't survive I and mean, that's kind of something that most people are empathetic or um they can feel that emotion that kind of That weight on their shoulders Mm -hmm. of course there so there are some physicians out there you and i can both agree they don't experience that type of emotion which is kudos to them i mean i don't know how they do it um but definitely that weight that you described um even before i even had an exposure to that i didn't want to be involved in that that's why i could never do it but i mean at least he tried right so I don't think anyone that I
1: personally know strip away that emotion where the patient gets worse, deteriorates, or even suffers from death. I don't think anyone has a lack of emotion. So if we have a balance, a scale, the one is the con like, you know, the negative feelings, one's positive feelings. The positive feelings outweigh the negative feelings. So like if you're a good, capable physician, the number of patients that you are gonna save greatly outweighs the number of patients that are gonna suffer. I remember like we treated this one patient and his heart stopped did CPR and he came back from the dead we brought him back from the dead two weeks later he got discharged and then attended his daughter's wedding how many people in this world can say that they helped bring someone back to life so that they can go and attend their daughter's wedding not many so that kind of stuff is what really keeps a lot of people that I know in the field but for me the negative parts, even if it wasn't as many, it was just heavier. That's why I kind of left and decided to take my, my knowledge and experience and talent elsewhere. I still had, I like over time, like I told you, I didn't know what I was going to do or didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, but getting all that medical training and education, I started developing this passion for helping patients, essentially. And I wanted to continue using what I've learned and what I've been doing for so many years and still be able to do that without facing all these challenges and these difficulties when actually seeing the patients. And that's when I made the decision to go to pharmaceutical research. We are still at the forefront in pharmaceuticals where we're discovering new drugs, designing new research, our clinical trials with specific study designs. I'm still doing my part to better healthcare overall. And I'm doing it without having to face Uh, at least directly face people suffering i think it was very it's very important to know um i thought it required a little bit of background just to really help people understand why i left because it's very atypical right i mean it's getting a little bit more common now now that now with like you know covid and physician burnout and everything a lot of people are actually leaving the clinic a lot of people an alarmingly high amount of doctors are leaving the clinic these are people they've been practicing like 15, 20 years, most of them. No one leaves one year after graduating. That's very uncommon. And I wanted to give a very strong understanding of why I made that decision and how it wasn't an easy decision, but this decision was not anyone else's. My parents didn't influence me. In fact, my parents were against it. My friends didn't influence me to do it. My friends were against it. I made this decision on my own based on what I personally felt. And I think that's important to recognize for anyone that's going into into the medical field.
0: Because I actually know a couple of people who they went to residency and then they're like, they have told me in the past like, oh wait, you know, I like being a doctor, but I sometimes, wake up with that feeling or go to bed with that feeling of maybe this job isn't right for me, but they feel like I've been in this field for far too long. I'm too, I'm in too deep. They would say that too.
1: Yep. And I I actually felt that as well, but then, but then what I was thinking was I only have a year left. If I could finish it, at least I have the option of becoming a doctor and utilizing my training and not putting that money to waste. That's the common thing. That's a lot. That's why a lot of people just keep going. You've already gone halfway. I mean, if you're if it's in the first year, that's a different story, but for most people that, are, that reached clinical rotations, you're already in way too deep. It's important to recognize that because it's such a mentally and physically demanding job with a lot of things that you'll you'll experience and see things that the typical person will not, like not many people, not not many people encounter death as frequently. I mean, there are certain jobs that do, but it's not super common, and that plays a huge role in the mental health of healthcare practitioners as well, right? There's a huge rise and upsurge of doctors that get depression. The suicide rate is super high, regardless of what your gender is. These are actually real life problems for real life doctors. They're so stressed in trying to improve healthcare, and their mental health is taking the brunt of the the consequences.
0: It's 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 very ironic, like. Here are these people who have been training basically their whole adult life to take care of people but they don't have access to take care of themselves mm-hmm. yeah
1: another reason why i actually left to be honest this is a little petty reason i think so i was in internal medicine I was an in internal medicine. I had uh, just like my confusion of whether I wanted to go to med school or or what I wanted to do. Even then, when I was choosing like residencies, I did not know what to do. And I knew I didn't want to become a surgeon, even though that's where all the money is. Uh, I didn't want to become a surgeon because that is extremely difficult. And you know, I'm I have a, I have a frail body, man. Like uh, if I did that, I I wouldn't make it past six months, 100 percent. So I wanted, i didn't know what I wanted to do—and I thought internal medicine provided the most number of options. So at least I wouldn't be screwed. So I went into internal medicine, and I at the time I did have high interest in cardiology and gastroenterology. So those are the areas where I thought maybe I'll go. Like I mean, critical care was also interesting, but I thought that was a little too uh, too serious for my taste. But yeah, being in internal medicine, one of the, one petty reason why I didn't like it is just the uh, dealing with insurance, man. <laughs> You know, you, you see one patient and you do like, you take the history, you do all the exams and all that stuff and it takes like, what, 30 minutes? You go back and you spend hours writing up patient notes. Hours I'm sitting in front of the computer just writing notes because it has to be detailed because that's what the insurance company wants. And if the insurance company isn't happy, then the hospital doesn't get paid. It didn't feel like I was being a doctor. It felt like we're, more like
0: you were like an insurance agent, right?
1: yeah like just like pleasing the insurance company like if the healthcare system is it's uh, it's there's so many flaws and that's that's one of them but no that's a whole nother topic that is one of the other reasons why i was like you know what i don't want to be just a note taker and just write notes all day like no one taught no one told me this before like before going to med school no one taught me this in med school you learn it while you're in the hospital so
0: speaking of life in the hospital actually i know stories that you told me and other people have told me what their lives were like in the, like daily life in the hospital what was yours like um i guess in med school you were busy studying you had like the i forgot what they're called like the they're your board guys yeah. so you're always busy with that but what, what was like the clinical life like clinical
1: life basically my place uh what we had to do was we we round with the attending and the entire team at 7am and what we would do is we if we're we're assigned patients we have a list and certain like certain residents are assigned patients so we go and do pre-rounds we check and see if there's anything that happened overnight check on their status see how they're doing and then we go see them at seven o'clock with the attending and then we just present and it's a it's a quick run with the attending but we just go there with them for everyone because the attending does have to see the patients too. And that happens at 7. So then if I want to see them before then, I'd have to get there at least an hour early. So I, I typically get to the hospital by 6. So to get to the hospital by 6 means that I would have to wake up at around 5, 4.30. But you know, realistically, it was 5, <laughs> sometimes 5 15. And there were many days where I went in there without showering, right. just FYI. Um, But yeah, and that was that was the the it was tough. Like you start super early, so the mornings are pretty much see your patients, see your patient with attending, discuss management plans, and then sometimes academic, uh, I guess, learning sessions afterwards. And then after that, we typically just go and write up our notes for the patients that we saw. In the emergency room, sometimes a lot of people come into the emergency room and the re- emergency room recommends hospitalization and then having uh, internal medicine consultation. So if that comes in, then whoever's available goes down, sees the patient, and then we, we do the whole workup again. So it's just rinse and repeat of seeing new patients and following up on old patients. Some days are clinics and those are the good days. Those are the golden days. Uh, if you have clinic in the morning, it's like, yes. You just sit there, see patients, uh, the outpatients, they come in, you hear their their complaints, and then that's it. But the worst part is when you're trying to finish or the on calls. So like occasionally you have on calls where you have to stay a little bit later into the night where you stay till like what, like 9 or 10 p.m. Or sometimes you have overnight calls where you actually have to be at the hospital for like a total of 36 hours or something. By the time you leave, it's been like 30, 30 something hours. But on those days that you don't have calls, and where you can leave on time, for some miraculous reason, there's always a patient, like a like a patient case that or a patient comes in um, to like the emergency room or something at like ten minutes before you before you're <laughs> able to leave. Then you have to go and see the patient, do all the workup, and then end up at the hospital for like another two three hours. Um, that was pretty much that was pretty much the day. Is uh, you know wasn't. Well, they weren't like super ideal days. I mean, there were days where we left pretty early. There definitely were. I'm not saying that every day is like that. But there are a lot of days like where you actually have to stay pretty late. And the good mindset to have when you're working in the hospital is to not expect to leave on time. If you leave on time, that's like, you know, it's a blessing. But you should be always ready to or anticipate that you have to stay for extended hours. And don't even get me started on something called golden weekends. Do you no, have no, you ever no, heard of no, a no, golden no. weekend? A normal for let's say you weren't in the healthcare practice, when does your weekend start? Weekends? or what uh, days do you get
0: off? Sunday, day? just Sunday yeah. for me. Not oh, oh, so, oh, most Not people like the Friday night, the normal average, average Joe, Joe. Friday night, they're done. Yeah. Friday night, right?
1: And then you get Saturday and Sunday off. So, a golden weekend for residents is when you get Friday and Sunday off. We call it golden because it's rare, like gold. <laughs> and very precious so everyone's normal weekend to us is treasure i didn't like i personally didn't like that i didn't like having not being able to like get the holidays off we get the holidays off we don't like i mean we do get some holidays off but it's 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 random it it was really random and you have to kind of work out with some of your coworkers to pick get the holiday that you want off you know i love christmas i i want christmas off but i didn't get christmas off because sickness and death doesn't take, they don't, they don't like they don't go on vacation. Yeah, I mean it, it's a tough lifestyle. That's pretty much why. That's pretty much why I left. How did you? For like, the, it was tough for,
0: like all the reasons I mentioned. Like, when, how did you have time for like family or friends or even dating?
1: Um, I didn't. I didn't. I know other people that can manage all that very well, but for me, short answer is I didn't. My family was in Canada. Going up to Canada, it's. It's a lot of work, takes a lot of time, so I just didn't see them that much. I saw them maybe once a year. So family was, you know, I call them, but that's that's very easy. You just do it from the comfort of your own home and you know speak for thirty minutes and that's it. For friends, most of my friends were actually you know in in hospitals, yeah, and they were they were also busy, so maybe we got together once every like three months or something, and that's it. In terms of dating, when I was working, I didn't date. When I was studying, I did date. I kind of did something very similar to you, because so I'd be at the hospital, come back home, start studying for my um, board exams and whatever other exams I had. And on, on the weekend, or Friday night specifically, on Friday, I remember I definitely like did not touch my books on Friday night. On Friday nights, then I would either go on dates or meet my girlfriend at that time. Um, same thing for weekends. And at one point I did I did know that I had to start prioritizing my time um, like board exams. The USMLEs were right around the corner and I was I was busy. I wanted to do well and I had to I had to really like pick one or the other. And at that time, I actually ended up choosing to study a bit more.
0: So speaking of a uh, partner, what yeah. do you look for in a partner? Since you asked me this, I, I'm going to ask you this, three things. <laughs> Three things? Okay. Three
1: things is independence. I like people that are independent. They are able to be sustainable and function by themselves. They know clearly what they want to do outside of external influence. Like They have their own passions. They have their own dreams. You know, it's funny for me saying that because I didn't have any of that before. And I have it now. Uh, You know, I realized very late in my life how important that is. That's one thing. Number two, I would say is... So in Korean we have something called yeah. gag code, humor which mess. is a compatible sense of humor. I joke around a lot and all my jokes are not winners, There's like a handful of losers and maybe one time something will be funny. I, I need someone that finds that humorous because if they're really bored with all the things I'm saying and, then all, and me joking around, then they're just gonna see <laughs> me as an idiot and that can't go very well. I actually think that it's important for me to find them funny as well. Even if they're funny to no one else, as long as I am genuinely finding it funny, I find that pretty compatible. Third thing, oh third thing is tough. I want them to be motivated and driven and be a go-getter. I really find attractive someone who's able to balance like selfishness and selflessness being able to put others before them, but not like entirely losing track of what they want to accomplish.
0: Which is kind of hard in today's society, honestly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I'm, I'm super selfish. I'm very early in my career being in the corporate industry world, and I find myself being very selfish. I think in ways that it's like, how will this help my professional development? Of course, I'm not only thinking about that, I'm still thinking of how to better the team that I'm working with, better everything overall, like what's the greater goal here? I'm still thinking about that, but. Oftentimes, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about myself. If I have time to work on an extra project to make a name for myself and be recognized, I would do that over going on a date with whoever I'm meeting. So, yeah, I'm not good at that. I think a lot of people aren't good at that. I think our generation needs to... um, find a way to get that balance the market's way too tough there's too many talented people out there that we just feel this subconscious and innate sense of competitiveness where we feel like we have to do more than right. we even need to okay.
0: well speak i, I kind of digressed a little bit but um you had mentioned that, that was your clinical lifestyle but after you moving into the corporate uh, world like what is your daily day-to-day life like i mean I mean, you're not as busy because you're doing this with me, but... (laughs) So
1: I'm not as busy in the sense that I do have like much better work-life balance. So my work ends, sometimes I do work over like after hours just because I want to get stuff done. I mean, it's not enforced, but the day-to-day life for me, you make it sound like I'm not really busy at all, but during the working hours, I'm actually quite busy. And. Pharma has four major branches or four major departments. So everyone knows like the sales folks, which is like the commercial branch. There's the people that do like the whole research stuff, developing like the molecules and testing them out and seeing what works best. Uh, I'm kind of in between both of those in an area called medical affairs. That's where we have medical discussions with like national or international leaders, basically. These are leaders called thought leaders or key opinion leaders. And they are experts in the field. They have a wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience, and they provide a lot of insight onto where the unmet need is and where we should be tackling, what we should be focusing on. So that's where where I'm working. And basically my day never really looks the same. But if I was to generalize it, I would say that most of my day goes into keeping up with our, my company's clinical trial, data, all the new data, all the different compounds like that haven't even entered clinical trials yet, yet. keeping up with that, knowing what each compound does, knowing what the purpose of each study is, understanding what the data is, knowing that, and being able to find out areas that we should target for the data we already have, like what are some shortcomings of this data, for example, or what makes this data impactful. That part is where we actually go and I meet with different experts. So people from Harvard Medical School. I have meetings with them. I have meetings with a whole bunch of other other physicians at different academic and community centers and we just basically talk. It's like, hey, like this is the data we have. What do you think? And then they tell us their thoughts and I get those get that conversation, get everything that's discussed with them and I pass that on to the appropriate leadership team in our company, and they use all of that information and they collect it, analyze it and figure out the common theme. So it's not just me that's doing that. We have like people like like multiple members of the team that's doing that with different physicians all across the world. And we collect all of the conversations that we had together and see what the common thing is. So if someone says like, oh, this data is not good because of reason X, Y, Z. And they find that so many doctors are saying that. Then we start to think, okay, so this is something that's very common. Now, what can we do with this? How can we fix this? Basically, that's pretty much a huge chunk of what I'm doing every single day. But the good thing about my company is they allow for professional growth so we can come up with our own little side roles. So right now I'm focusing on early compounds, like really early compounds. My job there, what I thought was needed is better understanding of those different compounds and the strategies in order to I guess support future development of clinical trials for those compounds. That's just one example, but yeah, that's pretty much what my day looks like: is a lot of meetings, a lot of talking, and just understanding a lot of data.
0: That sounds so much more different from what your your clinical life is, and then it's not, I'm glad yeah. I'm glad you adjusted to that, and you're actually doing like you enjoy that much more. I mean, I guess it kind of suits your uh, professional needs a little bit better. So. I mean, that's good. You know, you have to have business acumen
1: if you want to work in here. I mean, being a being a clinician, if you're going into private practice, you need business acumen as well. You need business knowledge. You highlighted that last time we right. spoke. You need to be able to understand how to run a business, how to effectively manage clients and their expectations. All right. They're the same thing, but they're just a little bit different. And I find myself operating much better and being a lot happier on the corporate side. Rather rather than being independent. I think, I think if I was independent, oh my God, it's a disaster waiting to happen. So this is, this is, oh, you know, it's good, it's good. It's, I was never gonna go for private. No, I, I wouldn't say never. I was, I was considering it, but it was maybe a 5% chance. I like the security of just knowing I'm gonna get this much money coming in this month. That's, that's, to me, that is, yeah. To me, that that's the definition of stable. To me, that's security. And I'm able to properly manage my finances better. And I think one of the questions, so I'm just gonna say this right now, I don't even know if you're gonna ask, but I think a lot of the viewers would have this question in mind. What's the money difference between clinic and non-clinic? I think that's one thing, A lot, I know a lot of people go into medicine because it's their passion, they have good reasons, they wanna help patients, all the good stuff. But there are some people that still consider money, and I think it's important, like you can't overlook money. Going in it for the money may be questionable, it could be wrong, but everyone looks at the money it's we have to undeniable right we have to pay our bill yeah yeah, exactly and so being in pharmaceuticals i'll say right now with my current job i would say that i'm being paid the average amount of just a generalist physician someone who's in internal medicine their wage can vary there's a huge range they have especially people that are in private i know for example like orthopedic surgeons if you consider orthopedic surgeons, they're one of the the specialties that make the most amount of money out of all the doctors, right, and neurosurgeons, but I'm gonna pick orthopedic surgeons specifically because I know people that are orthopedic surgeons. If you look on the internet, they say that the average, not average, sorry, median salary for orthopedic surgeons is 500 and something K, like 500 K, let's just say. That's how they make a year. That is more or less true because if you actually look at the range, orthopedic surgeons like the ones that make a lot make like 1.5 million dollars a year just from having their own private practice but then there are also some that have their own private practice that make i don't know 150k a year so the range is really big so you can't really compare it so much but if you go into a non-clinical role like such as pharma it depends on the role itself and depends on how well you can negotiate you can actually make equal to a lot of these general um general lists Physicians. If you go to pharmaceuticals, eventually you don't have to worry about, oh, I'm gonna make less money than being a doctor. You start off making very similar amounts, and then later on, when you obviously when you promote and progress throughout your professional career, you're gonna hit those next bracket of salaries. So there's a lot of things. It's it's eye-opening in medicine. It's not just being a medical doctor now. The the problem with medical schools that especially like you know the academic guidance counselors or whatever they're called if you go in and you talk about career the only thing they'll talk to you about is residency and becoming a doctor because that's what most people go into that's what everyone wants to go into when they go to medical school they don't know that there are other options i had to find out on my own much like everyone else before me. they all had to find out on their own but there are some forward-thinking pharmacy schools, for example, that where their academic counselor is already so integrated with the idea of having these corporate options. So not, not every pharmacy graduate is working as a pharmacist. There are so many that just graduate and go straight into pharmaceutical companies or straight into something else. Yeah. So there's a lot of options out there. If you want to, if, like, if you think you want to become a doctor, great. And if you do it and you decide that, oh, crap, this isn't for me is this is a John experience, then there are other options
0: it's funny right. that you mentioned
1: that. and it's not gonna put your well, i was gonna say like it's not gonna put your all that training all that education it's not gonna go down the drain you are actually actively using it and still making a difference in healthcare still affecting patients lives still doing everything you can to make people healthier and you're still
0: making very very decent salary yeah so basically it's actually funny that you mentioned this because last the last like the last time we talked it was for the when you were asking me questions and i had said you know don't try to follow the money. The money will, you work hard, you do a good job, the money will follow. Your case, what you're talking about in your field is a perfect example of that. Like a lot of people, yes, they you yeah. go into medicine for reputation and money, but then sometimes it actually isn't always like that. Um and it's funny because dentistry actually these days, um, is also very business oriented as well as health like patient healthcare. so a lot of dental schools these days are actually Mm -hmm. offering a joint program of dds or dmd mba so they're trying to teach these new dentists like oh how to run a business how to join the corporate dentistry world and then how to like manage clinics and they're actually actively trying to teach that to students because everyone's going corporate these days corporate it's where all the big money is So they're supplying offices. They're giving high-end quality materials. They're providing good patient care, usually. Um, So it's a guaranteed cash cow, like that is giving all the the staff and the doctors a stable income while providing adequate patient care. And it's all the quality control is all there. So a lot of people are going towards corporate um, for that reason, and then if you want to run one of those places you need people who knows how the business world works so that's why even dental schools are teaching all those mm-hmm. students like hey you don't have to go just start drilling teeth or taking out teeth or placing implants or doing crowns or doing root canals um there's more to the field than what it was 20 30 years ago yeah no and like md is the
1: same way most people if you think md dual. all degrees, you'll think MD, PhD, but there are a lot of people who are getting MD, MBAs. And that's because the our generation, the millennials specifically, we recognize that hospital administration is filled with people who don't have clinical experience, that are making all these decisions for doctors to do and judging and rating and and assessing doctors based on what what they think is right, just from a business perspective it's damaging healthcare. It's really damaging healthcare. So if you have all these MDs who are now also focusing on business acumen and business understanding, getting administrative knowledge, then you can have the president or people that are sitting on the chairs or the board that have the clinical experience that are MDs and they can dictate how a hospital should be run. And I think that would be much less damaging to healthcare overall. If we look at I think it was like back in like 1980s or something. If you look at the cost of healthcare per country, the U.S. was on par with countries like Canada. And that's how it was. The U.S. was on par with all of them. And now we look at 2020 and 2021, 2022, the U.S. is the one country that is significantly higher in terms of healthcare costs compared to everyone else. It just grew. And then a lot of analysts are actually predicting by like the year 2050, that's gonna grow even more. And then the the way that, I, I, I'm paraphrasing it, but the way they said the amount of healthcare costs and how much it's gonna grow, the way they said that is basically that amount would effectively bankrupt the country. Just given the, the rate and trajectory that we're going on now. So there's a lot of like brilliant doctors young doctors that recognize this, hear this, see it, understand it, and they're trying to make a change. That's why there's a lot of MD, MBAs popping up now. If that's something that you like, and that's something that you want to do, like you worked in the hospital, you got the clinical experience, and you recognize this, and it's like, oh, patient care is not for me, but I really like being in the hospital, and I really want to make a difference to patient-facing frontline healthcare, then that's another career option that you can consider as well.
0: Well, I, I, we're getting a little bit close to time, so I'm just going to ask actually two more questions for you. Um, the first one actually is, um, what are your future like career goals? Like, are you planning on staying with this company indefinitely, or are you, like climbing climbing the corporate ladder, as they say, or are you thinking of do you want to start your own company one day? Um, immediate
1: future, I don't know. Which like, I mean, ideally, I would like to stay with this company. The company is a great company i love my team um assuming that in the perfect world this like my team doesn't change and everyone stays i would love to stay in this company and climb the corporate ladder as you say so i would like to make it to a leadership position that effectively develop different clinical trial and research strategies for whatever cancer type on the national and maybe even the global level that's like my i guess five to ten year plan then ultimately down the road, I'm, like, I'm thinking like 20 years or so, 15 to 20 years, hopefully 15. One of my goals is to become a uh, CMO or CEO of a small to mid-sized pharma company. Me starting it, I don't know about that, but I don't know if it's something that I'm going to be founding or if I'm going to join early on or if I'm just going to join something that's already well established. But the ultimate goal is like CM slash EO of a small to mid-sized company.
0: We all know I'll come to you to ask for help on paying back my student loans. I think I have to ask you in four years (laughs) when you get your own practice. I'm like, yo, Albert, I'm kind (laughs) of hungry these days, mate. Anyways, um, actually, I I had three questions, not two, sorry. Um, The second to last question was, um, what are some words of wisdom or advice you could give um, prospective or um, current med students? Okay, so
1: being in like when I was in med school or even even when I was a pre-med, I didn't know if medicine was right for me. So like one thing I could say to, I'm pretty sure a very small handful of students who are thinking about medicine, I think the majority know or think they know they want to become a doctor. But there are, there are going to be people like me out there. There are going to be people who are unsure. I can say that if you enjoy if you enjoy learning about the raw medical science, right, if that even intrigues you in any way, like you read something, oh, that's actually pretty cool. If you even remotely think about that and and try to get in, because once you get in, it's not just that one career path. You have a lot of other options open to you. Mm-hmm. So just go in. Like, I mean, I wouldn't suggest going to med school thinking that, oh, I'm going to graduate med school and go to pharma companies. I don't suggest that. Um, there are other ways to get into pharma companies, like you could do a PhD program, for example, or go to pharmacy school or like whatever. But if you are unsure and you think you want to become a doctor, but you're not like you're on the fence, like you're like maybe like 50-50 or something, just go for it. Because like you never know if you like it or don't like it unless you try it. And if you happen to not like it, well, you have like a dozen other options that are in front of you that you can go after. Yeah, it's so a very weird advice for a very small select number of people, but I think it's important that they hear that.
0: Right. I mean, obviously, some people who are like those people that we mentioned are like, "Oh, I always wanted to be a doctor since I was like two or three, since I was like four or five years old," and they got this far. Why would I? And they think to themselves, "Why would I quit?" I mean, yeah, sure, there are those people, but the, of course, there are always those people who think they want to do something. They realize they. Don't want to do it, and that's perfectly fine. Like, it's not just mm-hmm. medicine. I mean, there are people who go into business and they realize, man, I hate business. And like, it's actually funny. Um, when I went to college, there are people who started off as business majors who ended up becoming doctors, and then there are people who were on the pre-med, pre-dental um, track and they end up becoming business majors. There, it's, it's it, there's it's kind of like a funny saying that people would say, like the trend is like, oh. That's a med student. He used to be a finance major. And I like,
1: oh. I'm on the older side because I took a detour in life, but it, you just don't know until you face it. You really don't know. So even if you're 100% sure you want to become a doctor now, there's a chance. It's not 0% that you might hate being a doctor. It's not all cut out to what everyone thinks is going to be. And just knowing that there are options out there, I think is important. So just keep doing what you think you want to do. And when the time comes where you have to switch, think about it rationally and make the logical, informed decision to do what's best for you. There is no right answer in life.
0: Uh, I actually want to ask you one last very important question. So you were playing with Mm -hmm. Shina. Mm-hmm. Shina? Yeah. What made you decide to get her?
1: Uh, I've always wanted a dog when I was younger. I've always wanted one. I remember when as a kid, I was begging my parents to get me a dog. My dad always said no, like a typical dad. I know most dads are against it, but he does have an allergy actually. So he, you know, he has sinusitis. So he, it really irritates his sinuses. He also actually uh, has atopic dermatitis. So he always said no. And growing up, I said, when I become an adult, when I become fully independent, I'm going to get myself a dog. And then that's when I decided to get my dog. I got my dog in New York City. I actually, so I got her from a pet store, to be honest, because I actually tried to go to the shelter twice to get a dog. And then they basically talked about my lifestyle, asked me what I do for a living, asked me like, what are my working hours? How many days a a week I work? And I told them honestly. And both times I got rejected saying that I am not qualified to give a, you know, a A dog from a shelter, the time and attention that it needs. I got rejected twice. And that's when I was like, okay, screw it. I'm just going to go to the pet store. And that's where I got my dog.
0: Well, now she's part of your family.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I survived the pandemic with her. I got her before the pandemic, shortly before the pandemic. And if I didn't have her, I think the pandemic would have been miserable. So, yeah. Uh, Sometimes you're going to hear her barking in the podcast, and I apologize. But hopefully she can convert you with her barking somehow. I don't know. But we'll see.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else that you want to cover or talk about?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. I think I talked a whole bunch, and I I kind of rambled a bit because, you know, this this is a heavy topic. You know, I, I I took a weird path. I detoured quite a bit. I so I definitely felt like I rambled. But if you have any questions, if you want to know more about my personal journey, if anything was unclear, just send us a message on on Instagram or or any one of our social platforms and we'll be sure to answer you directly or cover it in one of our future
0: episodes sounds like a plan so today uh to recap it uh what happened today um, today was an episode solely about our other host hopefully this episode gives you a little bit more insight into john's life who he is just so that whenever you hear him talk in future episodes with Uh, our other future guests or whether it's on solo episodes or when we work together um, on another episode, you can understand where he's coming from and what, what message he's conveying to you guys. Um, So we'll end it here for now. And uh, you know, we're looking forward to the next episode and we'll see you guys later. Okay.